Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. How you guys doing? It's Mother's Day. Come on, put our hands together for moms in the room and moms not in the room. Happy Mother's Day. Um, We are continuing our series, uh, Witness. If you want to catch on our podcast, our YouTube channel, the last couple of weeks is kind of a building on one another. Really excited to make the pivot today. But before we get into our text today, a couple of quick things. Happy, happy Mother's Day. Really genuinely glad that you chose to celebrate with us today. So to the mom in the middle of all of the chaos and joy of keeping tiny humans alive, well done. You made it. Put our hands together for that, mom. Let's go. That's wonderful. You're doing great. To the mom who has watched those tiny little humans grow up, survive, and leave the house, happy Mother's Day to you. To the mom to be, happy Mother's Day to you. To the mom in waiting, happy Mother's Day to you. To the mom who has suffered loss, we see you and we love you and we're for you. To the mom who's adopting, wherever you are in that journey. This day can be a mix of emotions. It can be one of joy and celebration. It can be one of grief and loss. And so just want you to know, no matter where you're walking in, we see you, we love you, we're for you. And also in this space, maybe you also um, are reflecting and you had a great childhood and you had a great present mother that you get to celebrate with. And so thank God for that. But maybe um, that, that story is not true for you. Maybe mom was absent or abusive or maybe... Um, you've had a tense relationship with your mom or a continuing kind of tense relationship in this space. Maybe you have lost a mother. No matter where you're walking in and the emotions that you bring into this space, you're loved, safe, and welcome here. And we just want you to know that we love you and we're for you. So thank you for joining us and gathering with us today. Here at City Church, we exist to help people find their way to God from where they are. And that's, that's Jesus' mission for the world around us. We're so grateful to be a part of it with him. And we do that by practicing the way of Jesus together here in Boulder. And one of the things we are continuing to talk about is what does it mean to follow Jesus? And listen, I don't know where you're walking in on your spiritual journey. No matter where you are today, you are loved, safe, and welcome here. And our desire is simply to meet you where you are and help you take some next steps. But one of the really important things that we try to continually recenter on is defining what it means to follow Jesus. And so depending on your background, your experience, your exposure, who you've been around and what you've heard, the way we answer this question can be different for a lot of people. But for you and I, we want Jesus to answer this question for us. And so number one, Jesus defines following him or apprenticing under him or discipling under him as number one, being with Jesus. It's relational. It's not, it's not behavior modification up front. It's be with Jesus, then become like Jesus, that Jesus does a work from the inside out of making us into his likeness. And lastly, it's doing what Jesus did, becoming the kind of people that look like Jesus and love like Jesus in the world around us and have the priorities of Jesus on our mind and our heart. And you and I both know that this is not a make a decision one day, rearrange the mental furniture of your mind, believe a little differently, and all of a sudden this is who you are, Mother Teresa 2.0 well done, right? That's not what happens. So what does it look like? 
Oh, Mother Teresa is in this message. You can go back because that's, that's too early. Uh, um, but, but what is it to follow Jesus? And we want you to begin to ponder that even if you're not a follower of Jesus in the room or you've walked away from church or stayed away from church for a thousand different reasons, no matter where you're walking in, we want to make sure the invitation is clear. Now, the way that we do this, the way that we practice the way of Jesus together in Boulder is primarily through our weekend gatherings and what we call our city groups. And so as we continue in this series, the next two weeks today and next week, we're transitioning in this series just to pivot on the reality and the need for community as we practice the way of Jesus together. That really there is no following Jesus alone. And so through our weekends and groups, it's where we learn to live as family. It's where we become like Jesus through our large and small gatherings. It's where we find encouragement from others, accountability uh, from others, not only to become the people that Jesus is calling us to, but to make him known in the world around us. And so all of that means, again, just no matter where you're walking in on your spiritual journey, your love, safe, and welcome, our desire is to meet you where you are, help you take some next steps, and then hopefully uh, you get to know Jesus for all that he is and how amazing his love is for you and I and the work that he wants to do in and through us in the world around us. Now, um, I didn't introduce myself. My name is Drake. If I, if I didn't do that already, I'm the pastor here. It's an honor to have you here. Uh, today, before we get into our text, I want to talk about something I introduced a couple of weeks ago, and it's this kind of common ground of a place of pain that maybe you are experiencing currently. There's definitely people in your circles or around you that are experiencing this, and it's de definitely a nationwide pandemic. A couple of weeks ago, I shared the stats that you and I are experiencing around loneliness, not only in our city, but in the U.S. And, I and, and a couple weeks ago, we talked about how God's heart of compassion allows us to see that place of pain and to love people well and to meet them in that, specifically around loneliness. When we did stats on this city, the transience of Boulder leads to a place of incredible hobbies and incredible life outside and all of the American dream-isms that you can think of, while also a deep, deep loneliness the number one felt need in Boulder, Colorado today is loneliness. Nationally, 54% of Americans say that no one knows them well. 40% of Americans report that they have zero close friends. And a couple of weeks ago, I shared even more stats about depression and anxiety medication and suicide rates. And so we have this place of pain happening specifically in America, highlighted maybe in a city like Boulder, where you and I are watching this in the world around us and we have the opportunity with compassion and love to meet people in that place. But I also mentioned a couple of weeks ago that the church is not exempt from those stats. And so while Jesus invites us to follow him into a different kind of community, that idea and practice can be this weird, elusive, and challenging thing in our modern context, primarily because we have this connectivity happening, technology, that thing in your pocket that follows you around everywhere, that extra appendage that you have known as an iPhone, or, or if you're, you, know, you hate all our iPhone users, the Android user in the room, you mess up all of our text messages, and we just can't stand it, but we love you anyway. That's what it means to bear one another's burdens. When Jesus talks about that, that's what that means have a beautiful blue text thread group going on, and then one Andrew per oh man. We're, we're going to start city groups for Android people. That's coming, okay? That's a joke. Um, so because of increased connectivity in our modern context, there's this elusive idea around community. So the problem is that you and I, whether it's emotionally or just in experience, 
we can easily confuse connectivity and community. So currently, in our world today, people are more connected than ever, right? More connected than ever, not only just in the immediate sphere of influence that you're in, but around the world, but also isolated and more lonely than ever. And you've got to ask the question, how is it that we are more connected as a planet today, and yet depression and anxiety and loneliness is now at an epidemic level? Mother Teresa said that loneliness is the leprosy of the modern world. And if you know anything about Mother Teresa, she was known for meeting people in their places of pain. And so as a Jesus community, we have the privilege of doing the same for the world around us. But again, the church is not exempt from that same experience. And so the question today is, is there a way that Jesus did community that addresses loneliness at a core level, that leads to personal transformation, the person you genuinely want to become, and that actually leads to what Jesus called the good life. And again, your definition of the good life is important that you wrestle with. Where does that come from? What are the roots of your ultimate happiness, that, that definition that you have? Because Jesus has a picture of what he calls the good life under his way and his leading. And the question is, is there life to be found in Jesus and his way? And that is, that is kind of a leading question because the answer is yes. And so our text today is going to show us a snapshot of, of, of how Jesus did community. And hopefully a way forward, especially if you're kind of wrestling with faith, kind of the invitation from Jesus and his family. But it also shows us a snapshot of two of the most radical ideas from Jesus, both how he modeled and taught. So Jesus, you know, uh, the video was speaking to how Jesus was murdered for uh, quite a few things. Number one, claiming to be God, but also his, some of the things that he taught and demonstrated were radical in his day. Number one, Jesus called God his father. And then when asked to teach other people to pray, he would say, you talk to God like a good father. And it was just scandalous that God existed, that he was holy, that he was set apart. That wasn't really being questioned in Jesus' day, but that you could know him, that he was personal, that there was compassion, that he was forgiving, that he was loving. There was no context, no container in Jesus' day for a God personal to be known. So people would murder Jesus for that reality. The second thing, the most, one of the radical things that he taught was he called his disciples, his followers, his apprentices, brother and sister. Spiritual family, which was absolutely heretical in a Jewish context because family was everything. And you and I, we, we don't really, maybe we don't feel that. We have this individualistic kind of Western construct that family is just what it is. And depending on your background and how you grew up, it's got different levels of ties and meanings. But for Jesus to call other people outside of your actual family, family was radical. And so Jesus redefines what it means to be in God's family. And so of all the practices of Jesus, I believe that it can be argued that, that two of the practices we talk about a lot, silence and solitude, the space of getting away and getting along with God, to hear from him, to sit under the scriptures, to listen, to pray, that space, and then time in community, 
as defined by Jesus, which we'll talk about today. Those are the two most formational practices in the way of Jesus. Out of all the practices that we see in the life of Jesus, the two foundational kind of containers for all that we are formed in is we are formed in the quiet with God alone, in the scriptures, in prayer, in meditation, those spaces, and then we are formed in community and the people around us that know us and love us. And so the reason we're in this today is because this entire series has been about sharing the love of God with the world around us, which is incredibly important and a central point for Jesus' heart and desire. But you and I, as Jesus followers in particular, we will struggle to live on mission with God. We will struggle to live out the doing what Jesus did part to make disciples in Jesus' language if our lives are absent from the consistency around getting along with God and getting close in community. We will struggle to carry those things out real time if we do not have those as containers for our formation and encouragement. And the, and, and the reason that we're talking about this is because both are very hard, both take time, and both of them form us deeply over time. So let's look at Luke 6 today in the life of Jesus. And we're just going to walk through kind of what we see Jesus not only modeling, but then also teaching. So no, Luke 6 verse 12, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. So we're going to sit here for just a second. We see this as a rhythm in Jesus' life consistently. We won't spend a lot of time on it this morning, but we, we, we did last year, we did a series called Silence and Solitude that really spoke to the beauty of this invitation to get alone with God, and especially in the struggle of constant attention, deprivation, and distraction in our culture, the need to pull away, to be quiet with ourselves, to be present to ourselves in God, to let Him speak into our lives to, to begin to see our identity formed and the truth of who God says that he is and we are. This is the space Jesus was in over and over again. Typically, the routine for him was in the morning, but it was such a priority that even when the day was exhausting and stretching, he would spend all night in prayer. It was non-optional for Jesus to get alone with God as Father. And so if you want to pick up on some of that, the series on our podcast and our YouTube channel, Silence and Solitude, can help you massively. There's also some stuff we did earlier this year. There's Bibles in the seatbacks in front of you. There's journals in the seatbacks in front of you. Those are all gifts to you. There's an entire page on our website dedicated to helping you cultivate this space. And so just so you understand this container, this is one of the spaces that we see essential to following Jesus. So in our city groups, this is one of the places that we're constantly keeping a pulse on that God wants to be known, and he knows you, and he loves you, and he's safe, and he's loving, and he has the best for you. But then Jesus doesn't just stay in his little silence and solitude. He's not a monk in the wilderness getting some awesome, you know, uh, stone tablets to write on, delivering them, and piecing out. Jesus was incredibly relational. And so then what we see in Luke 6, look what happens. Verse uh, 13. And when day came, he called his disciples, his apprentices, those following him, and chose from them. So we see Jesus has a great crowd, a large gathering of apprentices. And out of them, he calls 12 whom he named apostles. These are going to be the leaders in his new community that he is about to launch. And, he, and listen to the names here. And this I'll kind of make sense of it in just a second. We have Simon, who he named Peter. Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip, Bartholomew, uh, and Matthew, that's the tax collector, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became 
a traitor. So this is, I just want you to imagine hundreds of, of apprentices around Jesus. He's been building community for a while, inviting people to follow him, and then he picks 12. So if you're going to just pick your own community, what are you looking for? Maybe some chemistry, some relationships, things like that. You're looking for different things. Jesus picks 12, and this is the most ridiculous matchup ever. So you might not understand why, so let me give it to you. So let me just show you the personal dynamics for Jesus and his way of doing community. He doesn't ask who dresses the same or gather them around central hobbies or interests. He doesn't make sure that there's no conflict just kind of on the surface to make sure that these, all, these are going to get along. In fact, he calls them intentionally and watch the conflict. Peter is this loud mouth abrasive, aggressive, control-free, kind of speaks before he thinks. You guys don't know anybody like that, right? I don't either. So that's, you know, that's interesting. But Peter is, is just that guy that, you know, you're thankful for in maybe a tough moment, but also just super annoyed by because he's just constantly putting his foot in his mouth. And, and then you've got a guy next to Peter, you have a guy like named Thomas. Thomas later is, is, is known as the doubter, the one that's really struggling to believe if Jesus really did resurrect from the dead. And so I think for, from Thomas, we could see maybe this kind of like timid introvert of a personality. Any of my introverts in the room? You're like, I'm not raising my hand. That's not, that's not what we do, right? It's awesome. Uh, um, so, so, you have, so you have Peter and Thomas, who, who in, a, in a normal scenario, you two put those two people together, and Peter's just steamrolling Thomas constantly. Can you guys see that? right? This is just normal work dynamics and community dynamics. This is Thanksgiving at your house, right? And then you have Simon the Zealot, which is, I, I don't know what you hear when you think of that, but this guy is involved in a group that carry out violent war tactics on the Roman government. Okay, so like, like this is not just a cool title. This is guy is a part of a sneaky crew of people that are kind of guerrilla warfare against the Roman Empire, because that looks exactly like Jesus, right? And then, guess who Jesus invites alongside Simon? Matthew, the tax collector who works for the Roman government. This is awesome. Can you imagine, like, meal number one with these dudes? Like, I, I just, it must have been the most awkward dinner conversation you could ever possibly imagine. So, Simon, how was your week? <laughs> uh, let's not talk about that. Let's, let's move on. So you, got, so you get Simon and Matthew, which just could not have anything close to in common. You have Judas, who, who is sadly already titled the betrayer, <laughs> kind of looking back. And he's this analytical, calculating, ultimately a betrayer not even sure if you can trust him the whole time. And then you've got James and John, these, this dynamic duo of brothers that Jesus gives the title, the Sons of Thunder, which sounds so cool. Like, I would love to give my boys that title, except it wasn't a compliment. They were hot-headed, and they were kind of reactionary to everything around them. And like, Jesus rolls into a town one time, and he gets rejected. And they're like, Jesus, you want us to call down fire from heaven on this village? And he's like, what is wrong with you? Like, no, that's not what, we, it's not what we're doing here, guys. So much so, imagine James and John not only kind of have this unique hot-headed dynamic going on, but then one time they bring mommy into the picture and then mom goes to Jesus kind of on the side and says, hey, Jesus, if, you know, can I ask you a favor? He's like, sure, what's up? Hey, you know, like when you set up your kingdom, can both of my boys sit on your right hand and you're like, can they just be in kind of leadership with you? 
and, and then everyone's together kind of walking behind and watching. Can you imagine? Peter's there like, are you kidding me? You guys don't even have the guts to go and ask him yourself. You sent your mom to ask if you could lead? So imagine how amazing this community is, right? I mean, isn't this, this the most life-giving picture of community you can possibly imagine? This is Jesus' picture of community. How many of you are like, why are we at church today? Like, this sounds, you're not selling city groups very well. I hear you. I hear you. So listen, th- this is a hard community. You've got socio-political uh, tensions. You've got personality differences that are just massive. And at the same time, Jesus is going to do amazing things through these guys. Not because they're perfect. In fact, they are so far from perfect. It's amazing he accomplishes anything through them, right? That's really good news for you and me. Because some really cool things happen through the really hard stuff. So let me give you a community diagram here as we think about community. When you begin to consider community, and again, in the West, with the garage door clicker personality where you can just do your thing, go home, unplug, not associate with anybody, the ideal way of following Jesus is alone, right? Well, for that space in the American mind, Jesus presents an idea of community that is not our ideal, which is, I think, again, ideal for you, you kind of have to wrestle with. Like whatever ideal is for you in community, a lot of times when community gets messed up, and people don't meet your expectations, and, and the messy reality begins to show up, then people dip from community. And so it's just easier not to be around people rather than to engage in community. And Jesus seems to invite us not into an ideal version of community with all butterflies and rainbows and there's never any conflict, but he also doesn't want us to stay in the messy reality of community, but he seems to want us to walk in the tension of community where we are becoming the vision of who he has for us through embracing one another in the messy reality. You guys see this? Does this make sense to you? This is Jesus' plan for community. It's not easy. In fact, it's super challenging. It's very messy, but this is how we are formed. I heard John Montcomer say it this way. He said that community is Jesus' school of love. You want to become a person of love, you will not do it apart from community. And you know this. Some of you guys have seen the movie Evan Almighty. That, yeah, and then Bruce Almighty, the one before that. I'm not, I'm not promoting the theology there, but it's quite funny. So um, Evan Almighty, I think there's one scene where, where there, he's like praying for patience and God, Morgan Freeman shows up, which is just stuck in my head. God looks like Morgan Freeman, but you know, there's that. And he's like, hey, when you, when you pray for patience, do you think God just like, gives you patience, or does he give you an opportunity to be patient with somebody? I'm like, oh, I'd rather you just give it to me. I'm like, if it was an app I can download, that'd be way sweeter. <laughs> but becoming a patient person, that's a lot more work. Becoming kind, becoming loving, it's very different. And so, so community is Jesus' school of transformation, his school of love. And as we disciple, as we follow, as we apprentice under Jesus, he transforms us in the space in between. So we don't settle in the messy reality. Oh, this is just who I am, and we just embrace my brokenness. No, we meet that in a place of love, and we call each other to something better in the way of Jesus. So let me give you four quick observations around community, and I don't have time today to pull it out of text. We've done some work on this last year that you can go back and listen to in our followers series, but four quick observations. They're not going to be on the screen. I'm just going to give them to you because I think you need to process with me in the individualistic Western construct that we have, just kind of by default, four observations around community. Number one, there is a difference between connectivity that we talked about. This is not the right slide, so you guys can go back to the other one for a second. This is not on the screen. 
four observations. Number one, there's a difference between connectivity, chemistry, and community. You guys tracking with me? Connectivity we already dealt with, right? Just because you have a friend on, on Instagram does not mean that, that, that there's any relationship or community there, right? So connectivity, we, I think just immediately we can default to that. That's fine. But chemistry, I think, is where we really get confused in community. Chemistry is, is when you kind of have something in common with somebody. Like we have a whole squad of people that love to climb here at City Church. So there's like a whole section of movement, climbing, City Church people that do life together in that space. And chemistry is the space when you kind of connect with somebody and you find out like there's a, something in common, a common denominator, and you're like, oh, you too? Like, oh, you, you, you climb too? Oh, you, you sew too? Oh, you ride motorcycles too, you have children too, oh, you didn't get any sleep last night either because you have little kids that don't let you, that's amazing, me too. So the U2 space of chemistry is valuable, right? In fact, it's one of the spaces that we are constantly looking for in community. And I think that's where the ideal comes in, if you went back to that, that uh, um, chart we were using, right? The ideal community is you have people in your life that you have chemistry with, that's wonderful. And when you have that, it is awesome. But for Jesus, he does not seem to require chemistry for community. You see that? There probably wasn't any chemistry between Matthew, the tax collector, and Simon, the insurrectionist, right? So, so I think one of the things that we get wrong sometimes is we have this ideal in our mind that if there is not chemistry, I cannot have community. And that could not be further from the truth. In fact, for Jesus, the way of community, the word he uses, the word that we see, we'll dig into it next week in, in the book of Acts as they start to flesh this out real time post-resurrection from Jesus. But it's this word koinonia in the Greek. And it literally means participation in life or a sharing of life together. And so for Jesus, the idea of community is that you share life around a common denominator. And it's not your hobbies and your preferences and your music style and, and your level of coffee snobbery. Although th those things are important. But for Jesus, the common de denominator is Jesus. And so one of the beautiful things about the church, not only today as we plant a life-giving church in and for this city, but throughout church history, the church on its best days, doesn't always get it right, but on its best days has, has been, a, been known to be a community of immense diversity because the foundation for community in the way of Jesus is not our hobbies or our preferences or our personality types, but it's Jesus himself. And that seems to be the only common denominator for following Jesus. In fact, I can't imagine why the 12 apostles that Jesus calls in this moment would live life together outside of Jesus, can you? There's no reason that those guys would commit to what, what eventually is going to become, become spiritual family outside of Jesus. And so for here at City Church, through large groups and small groups, we are building community and spiritual family. And my, my simple point is chemistry is not required for community. And so if you can get that piece out of your mind, then community carries a lot of possibilities. But when it's the ideal that gets in the way, then I think we constantly are sabotaging ourselves from life-giving community just because it's not meeting our expectations. Now, even though the 12 are a perfect example of that, it, it, there's more to it than that. Number two, just, just again, observations around community. You can't have community without commitment. I mean, you guys know that, right? Like kind of anything worth its, its weight is going to be found in commitment. And so one of the really challenging spaces in, in a place like Boulder right, where we have the best hobbies on any given day, 
I can walk out my front door and be on a trail in three minutes. I mean, it's amazing to live in a place where people move here not for work, but to play, and work is just a catalyst to fund the play, <laughs> right? And so it's a really challenging place in the individualistic Western construct on top of Boulder as this isolated little weird bubble thing that we call home, and we love it. We love it. But it makes community so hard. On top of that, you add FOMO to the mix, that fear of missing out, right? And so then you're like, all right, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be in a city group on Mondays. But then that commitment every Monday? Wait, wait, like every Monday? I mean, what if something comes up? It will. <laughs> every time. What if something better comes up? It will. Every time. And so community is a choice. The only way to benefit from community is to elevate its value, to say these people are worth the sacrifice and the time. That's really, really hard. And by the way, everything today is invitational, just observations. Because as you evaluate your space and community, there's a lot of things that keep us from it, and there's tunnel permission there. I'm just trying to lay out for you what we see in the life of Jesus and the invitation that there's probably something better on the other side of the fears that are keeping us from it. Number three, this one's probably the biggest one on observation around community, is that vulnerability and accountability are the key pieces of transformation within community. Two words, vulnerability and accountability. Without those two things, there's no formation in community. How many of you guys are just absolutely allergic to those two words? Vulnerability and accountability, absolutely not. I've never had a feeling in my entire life and I'm definitely not about to have one with you, okay? And then accountability, no, you're like, I'm not going to, no, I, I'm gonna, I, I might do the things, but I definitely don't want you to hold me accountable. Like, hey, I'll try to dig into the scriptures and get along with God this week, but I'm not going to tell you that because that means I might have to actually do it. So vulnerability and accountability are intimidating in the individualistic Western construct that we call home. And here's the challenge. Let, let, me, let me just present this. In the West, I think there's this idea of pseudo-community, specifically in the church, Meaning you can participate in the things of City Church and still be lonely. How is that possible? You can come to weekend gatherings, you can join a city group, and you can still be lonely. You can still feel like you have zero close friends or that no one knows you well. How in the world is that possible? You told me, Drake, that if I just do those things, then the loneliness goes away. No, why? Because if you and I only share the good stuff, and we never open up in the vulnerable spaces, and we never invite people to hold us accountable, then in that surface level space, there will be no transformation. You're not really known. And so the community is this really unique tension of vulnerability and accountability. I heard it said this way, that there's no vulnerability without risk. That's why we don't do it. Because the second I'm vulnerable, it opens up the opportunity to be hurt. And the reality is, whether it's been through a church context or just friend groups or family members, everyone in the room has been hurt by somebody. Everyone in the room has been broken by community. And if we're honest with ourselves, everyone in the room has been a breaker of community. Everyone in the room has hurt someone in the context of community, whether it was intentional or not. And so then you and I come face to face with the fear around community that I do not want to open myself up to that for fear of being hurt. The problem is there's no community without vulnerability. I've heard it said this way, that people, when we're building community, people can be impressed with our strengths, but they relate with our weaknesses. And you know that's true. 
And so then when you and I choose to lead the way in vulnerability, it begins to open up space for other people to begin to share what's going on in life. And so surface level community is normally coming from a place of fear. It might be different places for you, but that fear of getting hurt keeps us from sharing. And also the fear of accountability, right? That, both of those just kind of suck. Can we just be honest, right? I don't want to be held accountable and I don't want to get hurt. So like, let's just not do either of those things. But here's the unique thing. In the scriptures, in the, in the New Testament alone, we have 59 different commands to one another, like love one another, be patient with one another, be kind to one another, bear with one another, 59 different commands to love one another in a variety of ways. And the reality is you and I cannot carry out the ways of Jesus without community. We can only one another, one another. You guys tracking with me? And so the authors of the New Testament, Jesus himself included, plus his followers, they assume two things that maybe we should not assume in the individualistic Western construct of America. And that is, number one, they assume that we're in community. Everything is written with the confines, the, the container that they assume that you're already committed to community at the levels that we're talking about. And number two, they assume it's really, 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 really messy right? They, they, don't, they don't paint a picture of beautiful Jesus community, right? Uh, next week, we'll look at it, but in Acts 4, you see this amazing picture of generosity in the church, and they're serving one another and meeting each other's needs, and you read that, and you're like, oh, man, that's the kind of community I want to be a part of. You flip the page, chapter 5, someone in the community lies about being generous, and then they die. Like, just the next page over, that's the kind of community we're talking about. Like, maybe I don't want that kind of community, right? Like, I don't know about that. And so the idea is they don't paint this unrealistic picture of community. It's messy, but it's different from the world around us. And so when the New Testament authors say, accept one another, the assumption is that you're going to be living community with some people that really stretch your tolerance levels. When they say, honor one another, they're going to assume that you have, you're around some people that it would be easy to dishonor or have contempt in your heart toward. When they say instruct one another, they're going to assume that you're in a context where there's some people who aren't quite living in alignment, including yourself, with the ways of Jesus, and there's a need for constant instruction. When they say bear with one another, or a better translation is put up with one another, what does that sound like to you? Just put up with it. Like, man, this person talks with their mouth full every time we have a meal, and I love them so much. Bearing with one another. Love one another. And this is a high calling, right? Because the way of the West is you commit to community as long as it benefits you. And the second it's inconvenient for you or challenging for you or uncomfortable for you, then go find some more friends. Or be alone. And you don't need Jesus to show you the damage that's doing to our society. I've had many conversations lately with uh, grandparents and parents of, of preteens that are struggling with depression and anxiety. They're in middle school in potentially the best years of their life and the worst years of, of their life, depending on your experiences, but they're struggling with anxiety and depression and loneliness and self-harm, and it's heartbreaking because they're alone and there's no one speaking life and truth into them. There's no one that's bearing 
the, the burden of life with them. There's no one saying, hey, this is who God says that you are. There's no one choosing to love when it's difficult. This is the kind of community, and that's, that's just the heartbreaking reality of some of our middle schoolers, not even connected to the city church, but the world around us. And so community is the place that we're formed. If you want to become a person of love, you can't do it separate from community. Because you're going to mess up, and you're going to have the opportunity to repent, to, to change the way that you think about something, to say you're sorry, and to continue to become more like Jesus. Our greatest intimacy comes from the spaces of deepest vulnerability. And so I'll give you a quick example. My family, my wife, my boys, man, we've had a crazy week. I don't know where you're walking in, but this week has been exhausting for us. Kind of an abnormal, like, burning the candle at both ends, something every night. I mean, just been a little nuts, and we're exhausted. And if, you, if you're like me, when you get exhausted, you kind of, your best self is not always there, you know what I'm talking about? And so this week, my family has had the best of me and the worst of me. And you, if you were to follow me around for seven days with a, with a camera, which you can't because that's illegal, but if you were going to do that, you would see the best of me. You'd be like, wow, man, that guy's awesome. And you see the worst of me, like, wow, we should call the police. Um, not really, it's not that bad, okay. <laughs> but especially in the exhausted places, um, they get the best and the worst. And you, and you gotta ask the question, why, why is that? Because they are the safest people in my life. They, they, they see the best and the worst because they are the safest people in my life. They don't get a, a fake version of me, they get the real me, the whole me. And as you and I press into community, even though it takes time, lots of time, by the way, Over time, we become safe people and we build communities together. And the real me shows up. And here's the beauty of the real me and my family is that when I drop the ball, because I do consistently, when my words don't line up and serve my wife well, when, I, when, my, when my response is not encouraging, when my attitude is short-tempered toward my boys, I have the privilege of saying I'm sorry. That's not... That's not who Jesus wants me to be. That's not who Jesus is making me to be. And I have the chance to repent and to grow in that space. The same is true of the community around us. So those are just a few observations, okay? Last piece here. Let's see Jesus outside of community. Check this out, verse 17. This is Jesus in verse uh, 17 of Luke 6. So he calls his disciples. He comes down the mountain with his disciples, and he stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples, and a great multitude of people. Speaking of people that are far from God, speaking of people that are not in the family of God yet. And so I want you to notice something really unique here. And Daniel, I'm going to invite you to come and begin to play, and we're going to move into a place of response. But for Jesus, time alone with God is non-negotiable. Time in com community is non-negotiable. Time living on mission in the world around him is non-negotiable. And we see Jesus in the rhythm of time alone with God, time in close relationship with his followers, and time in the world helping people who are far from God come to know the God that loves him. And he's going to teach his disciples to embrace the same rhythm of relationship. It could be argued 
that following Jesus is all about relationships. Our relationship with God, our relationship with God's family, and our relationship with the world around us, those who are not in God's family yet. So following Jesus, here's a summary for you. Do you want to capture today's kind of thoughts from this text? Following Jesus means, number one, there's a God that you can know personally. Before anything else, before community, before formation, there's a God that you can know. There's a God that has made himself known through the person and the work of Jesus. There's a God who has made a way for you and I to know him, to forgive us of sin, to give us new life, to bring us back into relationship with him. He is personal and he cares and he's full of compassion and forgiveness and love and he gives us the power to become who he has called us to be. For Jesus, there's a God that you can know personally. Number two, there's a family that you're loved and formed by. This is so important. There's a God that you can know daily, intimately, and there is a family that you are invited into where you are loved and you are formed. You don't need someone on the outside to tell you that you are not everything you want to be today. And there's a good chance that God has an incredible vision of who he wants you to become. Even more so than your own ideas of what you'd like to see change inside of your life. And God's plan for formation is both in relationship with him and his family. And when we choose to follow Jesus, we are adopted into that family. But lastly, there's a world as followers of Jesus, that you and I are inviting to experience both of these realities. That's the call of Jesus. There is a God that we know personally. There's a family that we are loved and formed by. And there is a world around us that we have the privilege of inviting to experience the exact same thing. And the motive in this series of being a witness, of sharing this incredible good news with the world is not obligation, but invitation. That this is too good not to share. I wouldn't trade the community that Jesus is building around me for the world. Sometimes we have chemistry, sometimes we don't, but that we are walking in life together and Jesus is forming me through that process, I wouldn't trade it. I am more like Jesus today than I have ever been because of the spaces that he has formed me when I get alone with him, because of the spaces he has formed me in community, and because of the privilege I have of sharing it with the world around us. And you are invited into the same. So in light of these realities, I hope that it's helpful for you to process kind of where you are on your spiritual journey and what next steps might be. But let me give you a few updates for City Church, just so you kind of know what the invitation is real time for you, okay? Our city groups kick off in a few weeks, and it's kind of our small gathering version. So think this is like large group spiritual family, and then our ideal version of community is six to eight people circle to, uh, in, in a circle, kind of face-to-face, -face, if you will, rather than shoulder-to-shoulder, -to, -shoulder, to begin to practice the spaces of accountability, vulnerability, love, confession, all of those things. 
So our groups, our city groups will kick back off in a few weeks that we normally take a small break at the end of each semester transitioning into summer. And so we can start new groups with new people and all of those things. And so you have a few weeks to sign up for groups. But a couple of things I just want you to, I, I just let you know that we, we think we've gotten wrong over the last maybe year and a half, two years. In the past, you could, you could go onto our website. In fact, you can do it right now. You can go onto our website and you can si sign up for an existing group. The problem is what we've created is a space that every time someone signs up for an existing group and we add a new person to an existing group, we unintentionally interrupt spiritual family. Right? If the goal is to go deep and to be vulnerable and to create accountability and you add a new face to the room every other week, you're like resetting, aren't you? Like, man, okay, by the end of this, there's, there's 10 new people that we didn't start with and we're still at the same surface level of accountability and vulnerability. In the, same, in the same vein of thought, as people are added to our groups, our groups keep getting too big. And so what happens is as our groups are just exploding at the seams, which is a joy at the surface level of spiritual family, people are getting left out. Not because they're not in the room, but because there's not a place to be seen and known. There's not time for that. So we're compromising unintentionally vulnerability and accountability by adding to our groups. Does this make sense to you guys? Just constantly interrupting spiritual family. And so we're exper experimenting with some things moving forward into the summer. And we just want you to kind of have the idea of this. That if we're really going to move into the place of spiritual family and it really takes time, then it can't be interrupted. <laughs> and so probably by tomorrow, our website will shift a little bit. And we're going to close all of our existing groups to new signups. So if you're in a group, you've been in a group, we're just encouraging you to stay in that family. And our goal is to begin to start new groups with new people. And it's always kind of been the goal, but there's some things that have gotten in the way of that. And so again, if you're in a group, stay in a group, you don't have to sign up, you're just gonna show up to your group when it kicks off. But if you're not in a group, then our encouragement even today, or on that connection card, is to sign up, and we'd love to connect you in community with six to eight people and begin building and living life together. And our focus is multiplication over addition. That's what we're after in spiritual family. Also, if you're interested in starting a group, and you're invited, come talk to me. We'd love to help you in that process as we experiment through the summer. But these adjustments will be live by tomorrow. The point is our desire is to provide more community for more people so you can experience spiritual family and grow together as we practice the way of Jesus together in Boulder. So here's your next steps. Number one, follow Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus in the room, the invitation is massively clear. You don't have to earn it, deserve it, maintain it, perform for it. You simply respond to the gift of God's grace by trusting in Jesus. He lived a perfect life like you and I can't. He died the death that we deserve. He was buried. He rose again, extending forgiveness and new life to anyone who would trust in him. And the invitation is not just rearrange the mental furniture of our mind, but be with Jesus. And in being with Jesus, we become like Jesus and we end up doing what he did in the process. If you're a follower of Jesus in the room, I would just invite you to evaluate where following Jesus is for you, where it's an area that maybe is struggling in the call from Jesus to follow him. Number two, join a city group. If you're not in a city group, we invite you into spiritual family where you can be known and loved and formed into God's beautiful and perfect plan for your life. And number three, if you're in a city group, 
I just want to encourage you, this is just a simple invitation, no obligation. But get together with one or a few people this week to practice vulnerability and accountability during the off weeks. Kind of ironic, we're talking about community and then you don't go to it this week, right? So in that space, just the encouragement. There's one or two or three people that you can get together with and practice vulnerability and accountability. And we'll send out some stuff on our social media platforms this week. Maybe it's just some questions to help you process that place of where you would start. But it could just be coffee with a friend or coffee with someone that's in your group that you don't know well. And, and again, listen, no matter where you are, my encouragement is just start where you are. Coffee might be a big step for you, wonderful. But don't let the next four weeks just sit. The encouragement is press in and see how this space can serve you in formation. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for my friends in the room. Thank you for the privilege that we have of celebrating spiritual family. As we consider the value and the celebration of Mother's Day, we reflect on the good places of that. We, we remember maybe some of the broken places of that. And we just want to say thank you because you are inviting us into a new family, a new identity that brings value and shapes us and forms us into people of love. A place where we are known, we are seen, we are loved, we're safe. We find accountability, we're stretched, we're called up into what you have for us. And so my friends in the room with our, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, we're just kind of processing in a silent moment. What's your agenda this morning, Jesus? What's our next step in this space? Jesus, we continue to give you the following moments to move our hearts and minds toward you. It's in Jesus' name, amen.